0: Our Gospel lesson today is from Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. If you are able, please rise for the reading of the Gospel. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated.
1: I believe that whenever the scripture is read, it should be read with emphasis. Thank you, Carol, for that. What a worship experience we are experiencing on this day. For a few moments, I want to preach from the title, True Accountability. In the book of essays titled, Called to Community, the life Jesus wants for his people, Charles Moore, writer, teacher, pastor, and one of the essayists states, and I quote, community is more than connectivity. Though people may not be alone in their virtual worlds, they are still lonely. Our lives lack cohesion lacking any overall pattern on any or any steady identifiable community in which to belong. For Charles Moore, the answer to building community is you, me, followers of Jesus Christ. I quote, we need a spirit-filled life that is capable of combating the erosive ideologies of our age. Moore goes on to state that only when the church lives out its original calling as a concrete community and foretaste of God's coming reign is there hope for the world. And he assures us that there is hope. For the Bible, he says, assures us that through faith in Jesus Christ and by God's spirit, a new kind of social existence is possible." End of quote. Permit me to suggest to you on today, Evangel Heights United Methodist Church family and friends, this is the kind of community that we are striving to be. Through our relationships with Jesus Christ, and by our submitting individually and corporately to the leading of the Holy Spirit, we are striving to be that community, that community that is a foretaste of God's reign, that community that is able to combat the erosive ideologies of this age. Moore reminds us that Jesus Christ has defeated principalities and powers. So there is nothing that can stand in our way of being the community that Jesus Christ died for us to be, that Jesus Christ has been resurrected for us to be. Moore reminds us that Jesus Christ, that through Jesus Christ, relationships can be healed and transformed. This is what the church is all about, allowing and providing and being that instrument through which healing and transformation can take place, a foretaste of God's coming reign, the reign that begins in your heart, my heart, in the hearts of all of the followers of Jesus Christ. So the question that has to be asked this morning is, what can get in the way of such a community being formed? What what can get in the way of such a community being expanded? What can get in the way of Evangel Heights, United Methodist Church, being such a community? I'm so glad you asked. I would suggest to you that today's scripture that serves as the foundation for our sermon, Romans chapter 14, verses one through 12, provides us with an answer, at least one of the answers to that question. Please join me now in prayer. Speak now, Lord, through this your servant. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart bless your name today. Hide me behind the cross of Jesus Christ, so that Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone may be seen. May Jesus Christ alone be heard this day. Amen. In the text today that you heard, Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 12, The Apostle Paul not only answers the question, what can interfere with the building of Christian community, he also provides an answer for us. He informs us how we can protect our Christian community, Evangel Heights. The Apostle Paul has been made aware of a situation, if you will, a crisis in the life of the church at Rome. A church whose body consists of a diverse group of people, Jewish Christians as well as Gentile Christians, who, and you know this, when diverse groups of people come together, they have their own ideas, their own ways of thinking how things should be done. You know how it is. You know how it was when you first joined an organization, you were new. You had your own understanding of how you should act, be. And then you discovered that there were other people in that organization who had their own ideas of how one should act or be. So in this church at Rome, you have Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians who share one commonality. They've accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. And yet they bring into that body various ideas about traditions and customs and and what's right and and what's not right. And in particular, and this is the emphasis that Paul lifts up, this crisis that he's been made aware of, they're dealing with the issue of foods and special days. The problem is not only are they dealing with these issues, but they've begun to judge one another over these issues. And this is the problem Paul is addressing. Individuals within the body of Christ judging one another over what Paul calls the essentials. That is not fundamental to the faith. That that is not (laughs) fundamental to our growing. They're they're inessentials. They're not important. And yet, within this body of Christ at Rome, they've made the inessentials essential. And so Paul has to address this issue, the issue of which food should one eat or not eat? Which food should one avoid or not avoid? Which special day should one honor or not honor? Notice what Paul says in both cases. Whatever you believe is right for you regarding this inessential, it's right. If you believe that you should not eat special foods because the item may have been, that food item may have been offered up as a sacrifice to an idol god before it was taken to the market to be sold. If you believe you should not eat it, don't eat it. If you believe you should eat it, eat it. But when you do, just offer up thanks to God. Whether you don't eat it, offer up thanks to God. Whether you do eat it, offer up thanks to God. And then he deals with the issue of special days. There were some people who believed that some days were more special than other days, In essentials, not important, not fundamental to the faith. If you believe that this day is special, offer up thanks to God and honor that special day. If you believe a particular day is not special, then offer up thanksgiving to God for all days, in Essentials. I think sometimes what happens within the life of the church is we confuse inessentials with essentials. Inessentials are those that are not fundamental to our faith. How he dresses, how she dresses, how she speaks, how he speaks. How they look, what they say, how they say what they say. Inessentials. How short, how tall. Inessentials. Where they came from, inessentials. Who their people are, inessentials. Don't confuse in essentials with essentials. So Paul has a word not only for the church at Rome, but for us today. So yes, you hear this language about weak and strong, weak Christians and strong Christians. His focus is on spirituality. Spiritually immature, he calls weak Christians. Spiritually mature, he calls strong Christians, and yet he says the same to both. Do not judge one another. You're all the same. We're all the same. And when it comes to judging, Paul knew something about judging. Remember, Paul is the one who judged the Christians, the followers of Jesus Christ, the way. You recall in Acts chapter 9, he was so adamant about destroying this this sat, this heresy, that he was on his way to Damascus with a letter in his hand to go after the followers of Jesus Christ, to have them arrested so that they could return to Jerusalem, be in prison, and then killed. But then you know what happened. He did encounter Jesus Christ. It's amazing what happens when we encounter Jesus Christ. All that we thought was true Jesus Christ helps us to understand that it's not true after all. Paul Paul used his faith to justify his actions. Remember, he thought he was on a mission for God, right? How many Christians do you know? use their faith to justify their actions. They will justify untruths. They will justify immoral behavior and cheating and will try to convince other Christians that their faith warrants them to take such stands because of the greater good that will come about. When you and I use the word of God and our faith to justify behavior that goes against the person and teachings of Jesus Christ, We are no longer following Jesus Christ. We are no longer honoring the God who Jesus Christ has revealed to us. We have compromised our faith to satisfy our own agendas or the agendas of others. This compromise happens not only with individuals, and also it happens with groups. Do not tell me today that I'm supposed to support immoral behavior, lying and cheating, I'm to ignore it because of the greater good that can come out. No, God doesn't need any liars, and God doesn't need any cheaters to accomplish God's work. Paul, mindful of the danger of judging others, reminds us, don't judge others based on essentials. He he could see the difference between any essentials and the essentials. And so what is his counsel to the church at Rome? Very simple. Welcome your brothers and sisters who believe in Jesus Christ. That's it. Welcome them. They're going to come. They won't be just like you. Welcome them. They they may have certain ideas and essentials that are different from yours. Welcome them. Why? Because Jesus Christ died for them like he died for you. Yes, remember Jesus said, once you become a part of me, Once you accept me into your life as Savior and Lord, you are no longer your own. Not only are you no longer your own, but now you are called to live for me. And something else that Jesus said that I continue to remember, especially in this day and time, Jesus said, the world will know that you belong to me that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. That's why he could say to the Christians at the Church of Rome, welcome one another, love one another. This is the strongest witness that you will have. And the world needs to see that love. Judging others over any sensual service a distraction from the primary focus of loving one another as Jesus Christ would have us to love one another. It's a distraction to our worship. It's a distraction to our discipleship making. It's a distraction to our evangelizing. Paul says, welcome them. Don't judge them. Welcome them. No, this sermon is not about accountability. We'll have that sermon at another time. Let me just say, it is about true accountability, but not the kind of accountability that we give to one another. No. This sermon is about the need for us to welcome one another, to forgive one another, to offer grace to one another, to love one another so that all of us can experience the spiritual transformation that can take place when we do. And this text says, finally, that when we do that, we know that we will draw others to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, is the one where every knee will bow and every tongue will Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This Jesus calls us to welcome one another. In closing, theologian Joshua D. Chetra states, when outsiders see a community that loves one another, cares for the world and models grace, this is enticing and it brings credibility. In other words, he says, when the people embody the gospel, the world takes note. So the question for us, beloved, is how can we continue to strive to be that community that will attract people to Jesus Christ? Continue to welcome one another. Don't pass judgment. Love one another as Jesus Christ loves us. Let us pray. Loving Lord Jesus, remind us that every word that we speak, every eye contact that we make, every attitude that we display is to reflect you Continue to remind us how you welcomed us with love and with grace. And may we offer that same love and grace to our brothers and sisters, both present
0: and those who will come. Amen.